When it comes to us, we might be made in the image of God, but we partake of a lot of darkness at times, right? And we sometimes stand in the darkness thinking we're in Christ, acting in the darkness, and we don't get it. And so boundaries are pointless in terms of eternity. If you're not in the right space, and if you're not in the right place in Jesus, boundaries, who cares? It all ends in eternal hell or eternal heaven, right? So I wanted to turn towards um, this idea. <laughs> there was a, there's an image. Uh, if, you, if you look online, there's a Church of Satan online. And if you look at that, these people were active in uh, restoring uh, abortion rights. And you know, they're very active in the community. And I think it was in Oklahoma that they, there was a donated Ten Commandments they wanted to put in the courthouse. And the Church of Satan wanted to put their... Baphomet right next to it. It's an eight and a half foot tall statue. And it is a, um, a man sitting on a throne with a goat's head, goat's horns, um, a, a flame on its head that refers to uh, real knowledge. And he's sitting there and he has women's breasts, goat feet, and there's a homogeny going on of sex and animal confusion in this character. And then there are these two, this is not like private, this is all out in the news and everything. I don't know if you guys have seen this thing, but it's disturbing just to look at it. And there's two children standing at each side looking up at this, this creature with joy, right? Amazing, beautiful. And their thing is, if we didn't indoctrinate people in religion, we could live this way. I can be anything I want to be. I can be anyone I want to be. That's their mentality. And I'm going to read this to you. Oh, and, I, uh, and to add that this uh, statue has one hand pointing up to the light, to the heavens. And on the original creation of the artistry of this image, on this arm in Latin, it says to separate. And it's pointing at the light. And then it's pointing at the darkness. And it says, come together. Right? We want to come together. And this is, uh, if you read through their statements of faith, it's pretty interesting because, I mean, it is polar opposite of the Bible. I mean, you would kind of expect it to be, right? But it is. It says, uh, why do Satanists worship the devil? And it says we don't. Satanists are atheists. We see the universe as being indifferent to us, and so all morals and values are subjective human constructions. Our position is to be self-centered. With ourselves being the most important person, the God of our subjective universe, we are sometimes said to worship ourselves. Our current high priest uh, calls this step moving forward, being an atheist, as being an atheist. It's all about self. Satan is a symbol of pride, liberty, and individualism, and it serves as an an external metaphorical projection of our highest personal uh, potential. We do not believe Satan as a being or person. That's the difference. If you were to say what is diabolical, that's exactly what they're saying. Being an atheist or an atheist is building your life around you. And sometimes we we don't we don't get that. We don't realize just how bamboozled we really are in growing up in this world, and we think that if we just act like Christ, for self-centered reasons, we're, we're there. But that's called legalism, 
right? Legalism is any time you take Moses' law or any other kind of law or any kind of construct and you live your life according to that for selfish purposes, that's legalism. That's what uh, Jesus encountered in his day. And <clears throat> evil is something, like when, when, this, when this church of Satan makes a statement like this, evil is something that we cannot understand. It, it is beyond us. We don't understand when it's actually overcome us even. And we, when it does come to the light, we're so shocked at our behavior that we're like, we, we, I never saw that. And so I'm going to go to John chapter uh, 8 and verse 42. And uh, Jesus is uh, having a conversation with the uh, Sadducees, the Pharisees. And in chapter 8 and verse 42, he said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and came from God. Meaning that if you really knew God, you would know who I am. But you're so screwed up that you can't even listen to what I'm saying. You're already diabolically just opposed. And he goes on and says, why do you not understand what I'm saying? And he says, because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of the father of the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. Isn't that amazing? They don't think that they're under any influence whatsoever. And Jesus goes, the one guiding you is Satan. And you want to do his will. These are, these are religious leaders. And he says, he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth... You do not believe me. This was also this, this same blindness was seen at the cross where you've got Jesus up on this cross and these people are accusing, uh, you know, spitting at him, um, saying awful things. And he looks at them and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. That's how dark we can be is that we're so entrenched in self-centeredness we think we put up all these boundaries around us and we're going to walk like Jesus, but we're doing it for selfish reasons. And uh, I've done a lot of counseling in the past, and oftentimes when Christians are really off course, it is because they're living selfishly. Jesus is a facade because uh, they, they want to appear a certain way to people. Uh, we were just talking about the Bible Belt last night, and they said, uh, was it Randy that you were talking about the Bible Belt? It's like there's, he said, there's more, like if you're, you're kind of like shunned in that society if you're not going to church. So whether you like to go to church or not, if you don't want to be shunned in your society, go to church. But if you think about that, that's a selfish action. Because if I'm only going to church because I don't want to be embarrassed in my community and I want to have a good standing, I'm not going for Jesus whatsoever. It doesn't matter how many boundaries I put in my life. It doesn't matter how I act as a person. I could have it together, Right? Somebody could look at me like, you guys know the story of Rabbi Zacharias, famous apologist. I mean, he wrote, uh, he published, uh, took care of the kingdom of the cults, and this guy had, was an amazing speaker, and he dies, and then accusations come forward that he was renting, you know, pot prostitutes. And not to say anything about his eternity, not to, not, not to judge him, but that was a selfish action, and it just about ruined his entire ministry, everything, his whole legacy just fell. People were like, who is this guy? 
that's oftentimes what we're seeing in Christians. I'm going to go to uh, Galatians uh, chapter 5. And verse 19, let's take a look at this. It says, The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wraths, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, uh, drunkenness, revelries, and alike, which I told you beforehand, and I'll tell you that in, in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In Satanism, the church of Satan, they have boundaries just like we do. There is mutual respect between persons, and if you disrespect that person, you better say you're sorry or you're gone. Right? They draw certain boundaries around children that they want to protect children. They have boundaries. If you go into any... Uh, if you were to talk about a, a crime syndicate, right? These are people that are working together to establish a common purpose. Then what they're doing is evil. But they can still function. They still have boundaries in place, much like we do, that I'm not going to respect this, disrespect this drug dealer, and he's not going to disrespect me picking, uh, paying him for the drugs, right? We're all in this together, Right? And we live outside of the law at that point. We've kind of established our own law, our own set of boundaries about how we're going to function so that we can maintain selfishness and power, greed, money. Right? It goes right along with this. If you take that same guy and he decides to be a Christian and he's acting like a Christian now out of the same selfish mindset, doesn't, it doesn't profit anything. And it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to see in ourselves at times. And so I want to make sure that uh, when we talk about the differences between living in darkness and living in the light, is that living in the light is living selflessly. It's not thinking about what I want. Why you see idolatry and sorcery and selfish ambitions, dissensions and heresies, those come about when there's two people or more that are selfish. And they have a conflict of interest. I want this, well, I'm not going to give you that then fights start, right? And they often come in and they try to take things by force. They'll run over the top of people that they love to get what they want. And so you would say that that type of person is a destructive individual. What they want and what they're selfishly desiring overtakes them in a way that they become a rabid animal, right? They just they, they tear into this as much as possible and whoever gets in my way, lying, shoving people out of the way, ruining relationships, it does not matter until I get what I want. And that's why they have boundaries in the church of Satan because they believe that there's a limitation in how far they should go. But we all still get what we want, right? So it's, uh, it's all about self, and that's really where, that's really where it at, it's at. I'm going to go to Galatians 5.22 now, and it says, the opposite of this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There it is, self-control. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. 
because all of those things are just all about me. You envy someone else because you want to be where he's at. You provoke each other because you want to oust, right? Those are all selfish actions. These are the hardest things, this, this spiritual fruit, or the fruit of the Spirit, it's a single fruit, right? All bears itself out in these qualities. And it's no, it's no mistake that chapter 6 starts leaning into this. And it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. It's pretty hard when you come into conflict to be gentle, to speak the truth in love, right? It's, it's really difficult to have compassion on people that are just running rampant and just destroying things. Really hard. But if you do that, what'll end up is something that you never expected, an ending that you never thought was possible. I had this problem with my, one of my friends who I think I've told this story before, but he was coming to church, partying, Girls, I mean, that was his life. That was his, that was his gig. He was, a, he was a member of the church, and that's all he ever did right in front of everybody. And I just told him one day, I said, Scott, I said, I could, I could respect you a lot more if you would leave the church and just be who you are and come to a realization that you're not going to be a part of us going to him someday. You've got to be outside this church if that's the way you want to live a selfish life, go live a selfish life. But know that you can't have Jesus at the same time. It doesn't work that way. And he thought long and hard about it, and he gave me his Bible. And I respected him, and he respected me. Thank you for your decision, you know. Ten years later, he's married back in the church, and we were able to give him his Bible back. Such a cool feeling. But that's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is... Selfishness or selflessness. If we go to Ephesians chapter 2, part of boundaries is realizing that I'm made in the image of God, and when I align myself with God, He starts working through me, and I feel fulfillment from that. That's what I desire, is I, I, I selfishly covet God's peace, his joy, his fulfillment. That's what I want to feel. He said to have self-control. He didn't say, you know, it's a selfish act to love God working in your life, seeing him in your life. That's not a selfish thing. You're selfishly submitting to him and allowing this to happen. In Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about uh, when we were fallen. It said, in fact, chapter 2, verse 2, it says, uh, "...in which once you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air." the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We go back to this church of Satan and saying, well, we don't worship Satan. It's like, yeah, you do. You just don't think you do. You think you're free. You think, you're, you, think you have control over your own life, but you're blind. And all of us are spiritually motivated. Whether we like it or not, that's how we're made. We're an instrument for spiritual things. And that's what it's saying here, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works. That word in the uh, Greek there is the one that we use for energy, right? It's active in you, working out what it wills. And that's exactly what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He says, your desire is for the devil. 
and his desires, you want to do them. You, you, you readily just go after it. If it suits you and it gives you power and makes you feel like you have high esteem, you'll go all for it and you'll crush everybody in your way. That's, that's, that's what we were seeing there. And so we need to submit to the Spirit of God. Now, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 is the opposite end of the spectrum. We once walked according to the spirit of the power of the air that now works in the sons of disobedience. But let's, let's look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, <clears throat> For it is God who works in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. So when we are submit ourselves to God, that submission seems difficult because it seems like we're taking the weaker position. If I have to love this person through their problems, if I have to be gentle, and I, I would rather want to be angry about this situation and confront, right, that's not going to heal that person. It is the stronger position to have compassion. It's a much stronger, it hits them in a whole, whole different light. Let's take a look at this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2. It says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, the same mind, of one mind, one accord. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition, there it is again, or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in also in Christ Jesus. That was his mindset all day long, every day. And all of those conflicts that he went through that we watched, that was his mind that whole time. He just wanted to be in one accord with them. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how, how often do I call you? Wanted you like chicks under my wings and you're not willing. That's all he ever, ever did. It's just a, he's an incredible guy. So when we have trials in our life, we've got we've to buckle down. There's this word submission that we often don't like to hear, right? A lot of us uh, associate submission with the word subjection. And submission is not subjection. Submission is willingness. It's a willingness uh, to be uh, submitted by choice. Subjection is by force. And God has never forced us to be the person he wants us to be. He isn't about subjection. And if you look at this, if you look at this course, I, I, of course, I can either go, I can either go over here and I can live a selfish life with, with tight boundaries so that I don't run myself into a coma, drug coma or <laughs> death, prison, you know. I can't live so out of control being selfless that I end up taking away the very things that I'm selfish for, right? And so I could live that way or I could come over here and I could submit myself to Jesus. And it goes back to asking the question, why should I do that? And in him, it says that God is primarily light. He's love. And you see all of his uh, spiritual fruits or everything, gentleness, patience, self-control. This is the God that we're submitting to. And when you submit to him, and you force your body and your mouth, <laughs> right? Because we speak a lot of stupid things sometimes. When we force ourselves to submit to Jesus, he begins to work through us. And every time we want to flare up, every time we want to get angry about something, if we, we've got to come back and be humble. 
humble ourselves. It's, it, it's so hard <laughs> to figure out how to talk to people if they're in sin in their life in a way that they don't mind, right? In a way that's comfortable for them. That's really hard. And that's not a skill that most of us have. But it is a skill that you will require if you force yourself to do it. You'll figure out how to do it. And sometimes we need to ask other people, how, how would you say what I'm trying to say? Right? Some of it's just a reformation of the mind, of, of how to just do things, act in different ways. So submission, really, uh, I've, I've redefined what that looks like in my life. Submission to a God who is love and full of joy is a choice I need to make, whether I want that same peace and joy in my own life. I have to make that decision. Do I want to live selfishly, or do I want to submit to his spirit to watch him move in my life? The end of this one is death, decay, hell, destruction. There's, ne- there's never really any true happiness, true joy that's lasting in, a, in living a selfish lifestyle. But in living a godly lifestyle, I mean, submission to God, you start to see that you start to know more people. All of a sudden, you have a, f- a family at church, right? All of a sudden, you have a good reputation. People trust you because you're not out for you. They get it. They see it. And so you become admired. All of that set feels really good. And we don't do it for the admiration. But Jesus said, you're, you're a light set on a hill. People look at that and they, 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 they glory, they praise God for it. So every time you're acting selflessly, selflessly, people are praising you and they're thanking God for your presence in their life. That's how we should be living. And so it, it comes down to this for me as far as submission is concerned, is that I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to be happy today. That's a choice. Right? Happiness is a choice. And the only thing that we really have to say after that is he said, hey, take my yoke upon you. All we have to do is say, yeah, let's do it. Easy. Right? And so that's submission in a nutshell, is if you want God's joy in your life, just say yes to what he's asking you to do. And don't put your own two cents in there about how you think it should be done or this time my wrath is justified, and so I'm going to just jump out. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. We're not going to have a good ending in that manner. And so those are probably more important things than boundaries themselves. Boundaries have a huge place, but we have to understand that boundaries are not, it's, it, they're not, they can be associated with moral things, but it has to do with being able to function in such a way that we can all get along. Uh, I used to work at a... Um, a live-in home for kids. Uh, usually they were under, between 13 and 18, they were taken from their families. They've gone to juvie. They've, been, they've had a hard life. They have oppositional defiance disorder, so if you appear as a, an authority figure to them, they will automatically just shove you away, get away from me, right? And the only way to influence these kids was really just by uh, your attitude, your presence, and they would stop, start to kind of model that. And we had rules in that house, very strict rules, and... They hated him, obviously, but uh, a lot of them would come back after they left, and they said, those rules made me feel safe. They realized that they were at their most free 
when they were living within certain boundaries. Because after they left, they tried to throw them all off and everything went down at that point. And so boundaries for dysfunctional people are great. And our aim for success in that program was that if they're not out shooting people, <laughs> if they're not, you know, if they're living a relatively functional life and they can go get a job and a, get a paycheck and work and be able to support themselves and stand on their own two feet, that was the only goal. There was no, there was nothing past that. They might be a total jerk, but they still have a job. <laughs> they still have food on the table, right? That's the best thing that we could possibly do for them. It was a state-run program, so there was no religion in that. I, I could talk about my religion, but it was kind of closed off. So the, it was kind of a dismal goal for me. So our problem really as Christians, number one, is that a lot of times we're not submitted to Christ. And boundaries are a cultural thing. It's something that if you go to a different city or a different country, their boundaries and their families, that's going to look totally different to you, right? Totally different. And so these boundaries are really just ways of acting with one another so that we can have a relationship. For some reason, that's really difficult for us because we're told to love people, but we're like, how much? <laughs> how far? Right? We have those types of problems. And if we're not doing it, now we feel guilty, right, that we're not doing it. And so we're always looking for these things to fix all over the place with people and while we're doing that, sometimes we're getting in their private business. Sometimes we're getting into their life. Sometimes we're getting into their marriage. Sometimes we're not doing the right thing, right? Or we won't be involved at all. We'll see a problem, and we won't ask a question because that's their business. Everybody's living for self around here, right? That's their business. And we can't say that either, right? If somebody is broken, we've got to help pick them up. Check this out in Galatians In uh, chapter 6, in verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you all be also be tempted. Number 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens. And I want to take that, and I want to compare it to verse 5, For each one shall bear his own load. It says in 1 Thessalonians, if a man is not going to work, he, he shall not eat. If you're an able-bodied person in Christ's mind, you should be able to bear your own load. You should be able to go get a job. You should be able to live in your own home. You can bear your own load. And that's part of one of the determining factors when we're coming into someone's life. Are they an able-bodied, able-minded person? Can they handle this stress on their own? Most of the time, yes. But there's this game that gets played in Christianity. Woe is me. Fix my problems. I don't want to do it myself, right? And it's like, no, you've got to do this yourself. You're an able-bodied person. If you compare that to verse 2, it says, bear one another's burdens. There are times in life where you look at somebody and they are just absolutely broken. And they can't do this on their own. That's a burden. A burden is something I can't do for myself. And that's the stuff that we need to be looking for. We, we want to strengthen people and make them a, a strong person to stand them on their own two feet, that they can bear their own load, but we don't let people be crushed by a burden that they can't bear. Right? Selflessly, we need to come in and help restore those types of people.
I'm going to read, I, I was going to have a, a picture on this book on boundaries by Henry Cloud. You guys can look that up on uh, Amazon. Uh, I bought a Kindle version, I think, for $4.99 or something like that. That's kind of where we're taking some of these uh, quotes from. Really great book. And he wrote this. He wrote, made, made in the image of God, we are created to take responsibility for certain tasks. Part of taking responsibility or ownership is knowing what, uh, what our job is and what it is not. Any confusion respons- uh, or of responsibility and ownership lies in our own, I'm sorry, lives as a problem of boundaries. Just as homeowners set physical property lines around their land, we need to set mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual boundaries in our lives to help us distinguish from what is our responsibility and what isn't. And I really like that. The, the, the picture that I drew is basically that if you're a person, you have your own thoughts, you have your own emotions, right? You have your own body. They aren't controlled by somebody else. But a lot of times we'll let people come into our lives and think for us. They're not living with us, they're living for us. They're taking our place, right? Let me come in and do all this for you. And I just become a weak person at that point. And a lot of people don't feel any sense of worth because their, their walls are broken down. They are not a person. They are not a city, right? When, when you walk up to somebody, uh, Oli said this the other day, uh, unsolicited advice breeds contempt, right? You're going through a time in your life and you're like, yeah, I got cancer. And somebody's go, somebody just says, you know, whatever, they, whatever comes into their head, right? They're just blabbing it out. Well, now you got to go through chemo. You'll probably die from that. And it's like, well, thank you. You know, like I didn't want your opinion. <laughs> I just wanted a, a prayer, a support or something like that. I didn't need your unsolicited advice, you know. And I think we find that a lot. But we, we don't often know how to approach people to have that conversation. And so I look at it like this, that God is sovereign over my life. I'm living a submitted life to God and I'm allowing God to come within my personhood so that I can, I can see Jesus work in my life and I can see Jesus work in the life of others. But there's a fence, right? That you can't just come up to me and tell me who I am or what I think. I own my own thoughts, right? But we do need to be neighborly enough to where if we're out of control, you know, uh, Tim Toolman Taylor, Wilson was always stick his face over the fence. Right? Sometimes we got to go up to people and be like, hey, neighbor, what's going on over there? You know? And inquire and ask permission to come in. We have a gate that we can actually invite people in to speak into our lives, right? to encourage us. Right? And if, if there's some bad file we've got on file and that, that's our procedure of how we go about being a husband or being a dad and it's not quite right, if they give us better information, we can own our thoughts over here and go, this is better. Thank you for coming in. And you throw those out the door, throw the bad stuff out, bring the good stuff in, close the door. It does not mean that person has a continued uh, sway in my life from now on because he gave me one, one piece of good, good advice, right? We just want to be neighborly. We don't want to take control. And so we've got an invisible boundary around us, and we need that gate. I'm going to go back and it says, uh, misinformation about Bible, the Bible's answers to these issues has led to much wrong teaching about boundaries. 
And this is what I've seen here, is that not only that, but it says many clinical psychological symptoms such as depression, anxiety disorders, eating disorders, addictions, impulsive disorders, guilt problems, shame issues, panic disorders, marital and relational struggles, find their root in conflict, conflicts with boundaries. And you see this most often in marriages, unfortunately, and maybe even having kids, because you've got two people who court one another with respect. I respect your time. Oh, you're going to a party tonight? Oh, you have fun. You know, I'm not, I'm not expecting that she's not going to go to a party. She's her own person. I have to trust her enough to let her go do that. I can't just control her behavior. And sometimes that's also affected the sexual relationship in marriage, is that if you're having sex before marriage, a lot of times what happens is you bring a worldly view of that into your marriage, and then you've got this barter system to where if I do this, then you do this for me. And if you do that for me, I'll do this for you. And it's a barter system. It's a, it's a, it's a relationship set up on expectations and selfishness. N- then when you get married, now I've got you. I'm not going to put a whole lot of effort into showing you how I love you. I'm going to expect you to do for me and I'll do for you. And it turns into a sour relationship. And the more that that sours, the more that more the both partners start to give up. That's where you start getting the anxiety. That's where you start getting the panic disorders because you're losing control because you're too up in somebody else's business. You've got to let them be their own person, think their own thoughts, be respectful of who they are because they're created in the image of God, not the image of you. You don't get to tell your spouse who they're going to be. They're made in the image of God. And if we know what that looks like, we need to be helping them to become that image. That's who we're meant to be. So in the next upcoming weeks, what we're going to be talking about is uh, more topical. You know, Bob Wood's going to talk about uh, marriages, boundaries and marriages. And he had a great book. <laughs> I've read the first page. It's great. Um, <laughs> But you might want to look this one up too. It says, uh, how, to, how to love your marriage enough to protect it. That's a perfect picture of what we need to do. How to love your church enough to protect it. How to love your brother enough to protect him. Without getting up in his business, right? Without having selfish ambition in that, right? That's, that's, that's the balance. So Henry Cloud continues, he said, This is one of the most serious problems facing Christians today. Many sincere, dedicated believers struggle with tremendous confusion about when it is biblically appropriate to set limits. We're going to talk about um, boundaries and spiritual warfare, because I guarantee you, if you go out, if you've got problems in your life, right? you've got, a, you got a, a boss that is overbearing, cranky, you know, your boss doesn't get to control you. You, you, you agree to do a certain job, you do that job, thank you very much, you both go your separate ways. Just because they're paying you money doesn't mean that they can come in and verbally abuse you, talk, talk you know, um, belittle you. That's, that's a hard no. That's not going to happen. And that's what needs to happen in our life is boundaries need to be set. Now, if you start setting these boundaries, especially in family, right? I, I, have, a, I have a brother that went just absolutely insane in our life, and I had to ask him to leave my house. I said, you're no longer allowed in my family. I love you. I hope you have a great life, but can't do this anymore. He's exploding in front of Evan, you know, and it's like, whoa, (laughs) time to put some boundaries in place. When I did that, it got even worse. 
And that's what Jesus was talking about. He says, if you follow after me, father is going to hate the mother. The, the brother is going to hate the sister. I'm gonna, the, the enemies will be your own household if you do this. And that's because you're changing the terms of the relationship on them. You're shifting the deal, and they don't like that deal. So can I set limits and still be a loving person? I can, but I might make some enemies. I might get fired from my job. What are legitimate boundaries? What if someone is upset or hurt by my boundaries? How do I answer someone who wants my time, love, or energy, or money? Do I say no? I think that goes back to the load versus burden scenario. We're going to be talking about a lot of those strategies where you can examine the situation and go, okay, I know how to cut this in such a way that I can exit at the end, and they can exit at the end, and we're both bearing our own load again. How do boundaries relate to mutual submission within marriage? And aren't boundaries selfish? I think that's where we get the guilt a lot of times in Christendom because we think we need to love, and our definition of love is not what God's definition of love is. We want to live for people. We want to take their place. We want, to, you know, we want them to rely upon us and our time and resources because we think that's loving. But then if you're doing that to a child, the child can't even grow up right. He's not going to grow up to stand on his own two feet. He's going to be leaning on everybody his whole life at that point. So we're not loving them. We're weakening them. Right? So those are some of the things I wanted to bring forward is uh, the topical studies should be really great. We've got Bob Wood. We have a person from Rockland coming up, David Pack. There's just a lot going on. Uh, lots of good stuff coming. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for boundaries, for uh, reasonable um, ways of living that we feel that uh, Christendom isn't this overburdening um, walk of life. Uh, walking in your yoke should be easy and light. And pray, Lord, that you lead us all to that destination in Jesus' name.